0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Valley of Dry Bones by Pastor Sean Wood. Lord, today as we open your word, our prayer is that you would open our hearts and open our eyes. Your word is living and active, oh God, and we ask that you would speak to us and that it would be living and active inside of each one of us, we ask in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Uh, this morning, I want to share uh, my heart for us as a church, where I believe we're going as a church. And that's, I just want to lay the precursor. That's not going to look like, you know, we're going to be a church of 500 by 2025 or, you know, the, the logistical matters. We'll let God put those pieces together. That's, that's not what I want to share this morning. I do want to share what my heartbeat is, I believe, for this church and for our community and my my question to everybody in partnership. The question with partnership is simply this: Will will you take our hands as a church and say, you know what? I want to be a part of this vision. I want to be a part of this family. That's what partnership Sunday is all about. A little bit more about that later on, but uh, in the meantime, I'd like to. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, could you please meet me uh, in Ezekiel thirty-seven? Is anybody here? Ever remember the movie Dante's Peak? You should. We went to the movies to see it. Dante's. Anybody remember Dante's Peak? Yeah, yeah. It had uh, Pierce Brosnan in it. James Bond. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he's also an actor. James Bond. So anyway, if, for those who haven't seen the movie Dante's Peak, it's about an extinct volcano. Hasn't been active for a very long time, and they begin to get some tremors and some seismic activity. So. They send a guy up there and he starts having a look around, he has a look at the the natural springs they've got, he takes some readings from the crater, he's taking some seismic measurements of what's going on and he begins to realise this volcano is no longer extinct. But there's a problem and the problem is that the town of Dante's Peak is a huge tourist location. It's kind of like the story of Jaws. We don't want you coming up here, telling everybody, instilling fear in everybody, you know, because it might upset uh, the the tourist activity up here. We don't want people thinking there's going to be a volcanic eruption. And and for those who know anything about New Zealand, I only know about White Island because of the enormously great fishing. But you can see what happens when something all of a sudden like that happens. But, But what happens is, you know, he keeps coming to the mayor and saying there's a problem here. And the difference between Pierce Brosnan and everybody else was he had what I would like to call a state of emergency. He rings his team and says, you guys have got to come up here. You've got, to, you've got to back me up here. He knows that by calling in the team, it's going to put everybody on alert. But he says, you know what? I don't care. We've got to get them up here. And, and it changes his outlook. The only person whose behavior changes is his. He gets the team up there. And they're even thinking, you know what? We, we think you're getting a little bit excited here. We're not sure whether there's, there's too much going on. But as the movie unfolds, we realize he was right. And what happens is when the volcano begins to erupt, something happens to the whole town. They all end up in a state of emergency. I would like to make a proposal this morning. The Church of Jesus Christ largely has lost the state of emergency. We've lost a state of emergency because what that does to us as the people of God is it gives us a sense of urgency. You see, church today has become all about lights and bells and whistles and they've even got it down to a formula in America. It's simple. You want to plan a church, find yourself a good preacher, find a good worship team and then find a good kids pastor. There's the model. Put them into anywhere you like. Next thing you know, everything becomes about how many people are in the seats. And if anybody read the pastor's comments this morning, capacity is what is important, not size. What I wrote about this morning was, uh, I am blown away at the amount of volume of water you can get in Queensland in a short period of time. (laughs) Seven days ago, I had a look at the dam dam levels for one of the lakes that we fished. This is not a small lake, this is an enormous lake. Previous to this, we'd been fishing and if I had stood up in my kayak, the water line would have been there. So we're talking three metres of water. And Saturday afternoon, it's at 65%. By Wednesday morning, it's at like 99%. 35% in a matter of days. And I was thinking about this in churches because Mark Connor made a very interesting comment when we went out for tea. He said, you know, 95% of churches across the globe are actually under 200 people. Does that mean that they're ineffective? Oh, no. No, it does not. You try telling the little township of Warwick that the Leslie Dam is an insignificant piece of water. When that goes under 10%, it becomes enormously significant. It's not a huge lake. It's not like Hines Dam and it's not like uh, North Pine Dam. It's not like any of those ones. But for that community, it's vital. And for this community, we are vital. I want to talk to you today about gaining a sense of urgency and what that looks like for each one of us. If you're in Ezekiel chapter 37, I'd I'd like to introduce you to this weird dude called Ezekiel. Now, I've been slowly reading through the book of Ezekiel and uh, he he intrigues me because let me tell you what happens to Ezekiel. He's a guy who's a priest. He's in line to be a priest, big thing. If you're a Jew, if you're, this is like social status extraordinaire. This is like, I'm going to be a priest. Everybody's going to respect me. I'm in line. I'm going to have my day in the sun. I'm going to be officiating. This. You've got to be careful what you wish for, young man. But other than that, Ezekiel, the story of Ezekiel is the story of a man that the divine presence of God invades his life. Read the first two chapters of Ezekiel. This guy, this guy is kind of in and out of exile all at the same time. This guy is kind of, because uh, he was amongst the first ones taken into exile. I'll explain a little bit about that in a moment. But he's kind of in exile amongst all those in exile uh, at one point, And then, boom. He, next thing you know, he's, he, he's prophesying to those that are remaining in Jerusalem. What? How did you get from there? Who knows? He saw stuff that blew his mind. He's said, like, He's struggling for words to describe what he saw. Some people question what he saw, but then John, in his revelation, saw exactly the same stuff. The divine presence of God invaded his life, and he was a prophet. But if there is one thing that Ezekiel highlights, here we have a very intellectual man. Well-educated, because if you're in the priesthood, you're well-educated. What we know about Ezekiel, we find inside of the book that bears his name. We know that he was married. A little bit about that in a moment, but we know that he was married. He owns a house. He was in line to be a priest. He's called to be a prophet whilst in exile. He was one of the first ones to be taken into exile, along with Daniel and the others. But one thing that sets Ezekiel apart that blew me away when I read the book was that prophecy for him was not just what he said. Prophecy for Ezekiel was about what he lived and I would like to make the claim that each person in here is not called to be a prophet but we are called to live prophetically. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Ezekiel is given a message from the Lord. And then he says, now go out and lay on your right side for X amount of days. And then then turn over and lay on your left side for for X amount of days. And and another time he's told, you know what? Get up in the morning, pack a bag and head off into exile. Then come back at night time, sleep overnight, get up in the morning, pack a bag and head off into exile. Why? Because I want Israel to understand that they're going to go into exile. And in chapter 24... In chapter 24, the pride of his eyes, the one thing on this earth that he treasures dies and that's his wife. And God says to Ezekiel, you are not to mourn openly for your wife because when Israel is taken out of the land and they lose the one thing they cherish, which is the temple, they are not to mourn openly. God had a message for the people, but it was lived through his life. Great question, Mike. What's the difference between a prophet and a seer? A prophet is one that prophesies. A seer, the mantle rests on their life. And it's not just words, it's visions they see. Jeremiah was a seer. Isaiah was a seer. Ezekiel was a seer. Samuel was a seer. Scripture points to not a fleeting thing, but a mantle that sits on them. And a mantle sat on Ezekiel's life. He has some enormously harsh words to say to Jerusalem and to the people of Israel. He has some enormously harsh words. He says, basically, the message is you guys have got to repent and get yourself sorted or you're going to go into exile. Here's the story about Israel. Whenever you read stuff in the Old Testament, I'll give you a heads up. What happens to the people of God in the physical in the Old Testament often accords to a spiritual truth for us. Exile was physical for them, but it can be spiritual for us. And I want to give everybody in this room a warning this morning. If there's one thing that the prophecies and the teachings of Christ have shown me, it is this. You either empty yourself and let go of this world, or God will empty you and take the world right out of you. Exile was the greatest thing that ever happened to Israel. Greatest part of their history was when they went into exile. And there's people sitting in this room that are kind of wondering, I've got a lot going on in my life right now and I can't see God. Greatest analogy I've heard about that. You ever? I I was at the birth for all of our children. And and I was was there when uh, a couple of my nieces and nephews were born. And I noticed something, that when that baby comes out, That baby's screaming and it's terrified. Have you ever noticed that? That baby's screaming and it's terrified. It's afraid. You know, here's this guy holding me upside down, smacking me on the bum. He's got a huge, why has he got that knife in his hand? Why was I warm and now I'm cold? Put yourself in the baby's shoes for just a moment. Everything feels like it's out of control. And that baby is enormously frightened. Everybody standing in the room is enormously joyous. Because we have a different perspective of what is happening to that baby. You need that cord cut. You, you need a good smack on the bum. Let's start off right away. But it can be increased. That's the same for our lives too. Sometimes we feel like we're in exile. I want to give you a warning today. You, you can't avoid exile in your life. Learn to empty yourself and let go of the things of this world, or God will do it for you. I have an apology to make. If you're going through some turbulent times, it's because I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will refine you. You're welcome. So I'm the one to blame. Let's have a look at what Ezekiel saw. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Enormous statement. We need the hand of God upon us. We don't need the hand of man. We need the hand of God upon us. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Another fantastically profound statement. And he set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So uh, one thing to understand about prophecy is it is symbolic language. He wasn't literally standing in a valley of dry bones, but it's the vision that God had given him, and it speaks symbolically, as we will see, of the condition of the people. Now, when we speak of valleys and mountains in prophecy, let me give you a little bit of a hint. Every time somebody prophesies about a mountain of the Lord, uh, often mountains were places of revelation and great perspective. It's where we can, we can see better and we have a greater revelation of God. That's why men go up on the mountain to pray. Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights people go up on the mountain. Valleys are known as times of restricted or uncertain knowledge in those times. How many people here can say, I can tell you what a valley looks like because I've been through a few in my own life. I reckon most people here could put their hands up and and a valley is a time when you're thinking to yourself, I'm uncertain, I can't see clear. It's kind of like being in a thick pea soup fog not knowing what the next direction is. That's what a valley's like. Got some good news for everybody in this room today. John the Baptist was speaking about Jesus and he quoted a prophecy from Isaiah, which is a messianic prophecy. And he says, every mountain shall be brought low and every valley shall be filled in. What's he saying? When Jesus Christ comes, there'll be no lack in your knowledge and revelation of who God is. But there is a problem. This is the problem. We need to understand where there is a lack of knowledge, where there is a lack of revelation, people will find themselves in valleys. This is not something that has happened overnight. You don't have dry bones in a short space of time. How many people here could probably say, you know what, I feel about as dry as those bones right now. You know, this week when I was thinking about this and the Lord's been working this into me for some time and you know, I've been saying to him, you know, say, I feel like these bones, man. You know, this morning we were worshipping and can I give you a hint when it comes to the presence of God? It's got nothing to do with distance and it's got everything to do with awareness. Do you know before you even came here this morning, God was already here? He's waiting for you. Do you know, before you even walk through the front door of work tomorrow, he's already there. I also want to extend this this morning. As much as this is speaking about the house of Israel, I don't think we have to stretch our imagination too far to understand that if we were to walk out these doors right now, that's a great description of Brisbane right now. There are people outside here that are thirsty and dry and they're trying to find ways to put themselves back together. And they're looking to us because we've been called to live prophetically. Let's keep moving on. <clears throat> I want to ask everybody here a question. It's the same question that, that God asks Ezekiel. Reading on, And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? I want to ask everybody in this room a question this morning. Can these bones live? Can it be possible that church is about the presence of God? Is it possible that once again, we could see the supernatural moving through the people of God? Yes, it is possible. In fact, if it's not possible, why are we even here? You know, Jesus was talking to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus he says to Martha, knew Jesus very well. Don't ever forget this. Very well accustomed to who Jesus was. Martha says to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She goes on and says, yes, I know, Lord, he will rise again at the resurrection. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Where else are you going to go, Martha. I am the be-all and the end-all. And I ask everybody in this room this morning, is it possible? Ask yourself this question. Can these bones live? Can Brisbane live? There's people outside these. We need a sense of urgency. Why? Because there's people out there now that are dying without a knowledge of Christ. That's the truth of it. The enemy's happy to keep anybody he can comfortable and just, just rock you on into eternity in comfort. Even if you are, if you're comfortable and you're a Christian and you, you, know, you, don't, you don't have a sense of urgency, the enemy's like, it's all right, you're on the bench. Well, you're on the bench, I don't have to worry. If you're in this room this morning and you're going through some hard times, there's probably a really good reason. The enemy might see you as a threat. Can these bones live? I love his answer. Everybody should answer it this way. I answered, oh Lord God, you know. What Ezekiel is standing and what he sees, he says, Lord, only you know whether these bones can live. Uh, Mark Connor in his book, Transforming Your Church, says that each church should go through seven shifts. Seven shifts to transform your church. Great book. The first shift, and it's, it's number one because it's the most important. The first shift that every single individual in the body of Christ and every church should make is a shift that is called the power shift. It's where we go from dependence upon ourselves to reliance upon God. I'm going to show you what that looks like in a moment. I'm going to, I can sum up what that looks like with one word in a moment. But this power shift is where we start realising, you know what? In our strength, by our systems, you know, in church life, we're very quick to, to institute another program. You know, let's just, ooh, we need an evangelism program and we need another staff member and we, we, we need this and we just need, uh, we just need to spend $250,000, which, believe it or not, happened in Brisbane some time ago, $250,000 on more lights and more smoke and more pizzazz so that the youth will come to our church and not go to the church down the road. Shame on you. Let them go down the road if they're in the kingdom. Shame on us if that is what is important. The power shift says, oh God, you build your church. That's what the power shift says. And you can sum it up with one word. It's called prayer. When there's been an enormous power shift in somebody's life, they pray more. Oh God, I come to you. Why? Because I need you. God doesn't leave it there. He gives Ezekiel something that he can do. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. Ezekiel, I don't need you, Ezekiel, but I choose to use you. At Rock Christian Church, I don't need you. I choose to use you. Rock Christian Church, I could have put you anywhere, he could disband us right now, he could do whatever he wants to do, but he's chosen to put us here because there's a community that needs living water. And every healthy dam has a strong inflow, bringing the water in and a good outflow, releasing it back out. And prophecy isn't always about what we say But prophecy, living prophetic lives means that we communicate the reality and the truth of Christ. Our lives communicate the reality. Uh, I want to ask everybody a question here. If you were in court right now and you were charged with being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? If everybody that you work with right now puts you in court and you're charged with being a Christian, is there enough evidence in your workplace to convict you? Is there enough on the bus, bro? Yeah. Let's keep moving on. This is why the word of God is important, because have a look at what happens now. This is the message to these dry bones. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. We're going to have a look at that one in a moment. <clears throat> but he says, hear the word of the Lord. And there is a difference. Uh, for every married man in this room, you will testify there is a difference between listening and hearing. And our wives love to point it out, don't they? Did you just hear what I said to you? Yes. What did I say? No. (laughs) I also want to say there's a difference between listening to the Word of God and hearing it. And my vision for this church is that we would be a people that would hear the Word of God. My vision is that every person over this coming year would realise the importance of life groups. Yes, importance absolutely why because we get to flesh out the word of God in these life groups yes church is important yes listen to some weird dude on a Sunday morning is important but further to that uh, what here's the most important thing that's ever been drummed into me since I was a Christian my first pastor drummed it in really hard he said you've got to learn what it is to sit at the feet of Christ for yourself you're not going to survive between Sunday and Sunday you're not going to survive If you don't find a place where you're getting water poured in, you're going to run out. Sunday's not enough. We need you in life groups. We need you opening the Bible of of a morning and just saying, you know what, Lord, Uh, here's this chapter I'm going to read today, and I'm just open to what it is that you're going to say to me today. There was an enormous difference between listening and hearing and the Hebrews got it right. They knew what the difference was and they knew how to alter it. The difference is meditation. We have lost the art of contemplating the the word. Now, meditation, please hear me, is not sitting with a bald head and, and some brown robes and holding your fingers like this and chanting anything. Meditation is about contemplation. In fact, the Hebrew word means to mutter. I'm giving you full permission to talk to yourself. Talk about the Word of God. Half the church just went, whew, I talk to myself now. <laughs> oh, there's a couple of ladies I work with that answer themselves, and that's another moment. We'll, uh, <laughs> deal, deal with that later on. Hearing the Word of God is what makes the difference. You should not come to church and get a life coach message. Jesus isn't in the life coaching business. He's in the life transformation business. Let's read on. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you. Great promise. And you shall live. Verse 6, And I will lay sinew upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I will, I will, I will, I will. At what point in time did he say, it's all up to you, Ezekiel? None. He said, I will. What do we have to do? We have to hear the word of God. We have to be open to God. What I love about this is we often think that we will blink our eyes and God will click his fingers, and he can do that if he wants, by the way. But you notice here how often an enormous move of God is actually progressive. The bones will come together. Then we'll have sinew. Then we'll have flesh. And if you're like me, enormous muscles. (laughs) A promise to a dry and thirsty land from God is this. If you will hear the word of God, I will. I want to touch on the last one of those right now. The most important one. I think this is the word for us here as a church. I think this is where we're up to. Breath. You know, if I can speak openly, the Rock Christian Church has known some ups and downs and some valleys and some mountains in their lives. There's people here that have been here from the start and next year we celebrate 20 years as the Rock Christian Church, 30 since the Wynnum Church. For those that are... So next year we're going to have a big shebang and big party and... It's another excuse to have plenty of food, but that's, that's, that's a message for another day. But, but there's a testimony to God. God's like, there's an enormous work I want to do in this church. There's an enormous work I want to do in these people. There's an enormous work I want to do in this community. But first things first, we've got to get the bones together. We've got to put the sinew on. We've got to, we've got to have skin and flesh. And then something amazing happens. Still, still no life. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like having a car. You know, you've got the you've you've got the chassis, you've got the diffs, the wheels, you've got the you've got all the bodywork in place, you've got the seats put in. How useless is that car if it hasn't got an engine? Unless you're Fred Flintstone, it's it's enormously useless. <laughs> and so I believe God has been doing a work in people's lives. I think he still is. But I think it's time for the Rock Church to know what the breath of God is. The word breath is spirit. God does a work of restoration. God does a work of construction. I believe my vision for this church is a church who knows the breath of God. My prayer for all of us is God breathe inside of us. Breathe inside of us. We are all called to live prophetically. And my vision is that we would live lives that are prophetic, that, that church isn't just about Sundays, church isn't just about uh, programs and organising and all that sort of stuff. All those things are great. And, and the women had a great day yesterday. There's 40-odd women here, and they're all odd. <laughs> And date night, was all of those things are great. And it is about fellowship because fellowship is enormously spiritual. But living prophetically is living with a sense of urgency. And I want to give you the three A's today of living prophetically. The first one is awareness. I describe that the presence of God, the reality of the presence of God in your life is not a matter of distance. You don't have to pray for God to move from there to there, but that he would open your eyes and tear down the veil that you could see and you're aware of his presence. If I could give you the key secret to that in your life this morning, how many people would want that? How many people would want to know the tangible, experiential presence of God in your own life and in the church? And if I could give you that today, how many people would take it away? I'll give it to you. It's called Sanctifying the Lord. A.W. Tozer writes about sanctifying the Lord. In Leviticus 10, God says to Nadab and Abihu, who, by the way, have lit up strange fire and they're consumed, but he says to Moses... For those who will be near me, I must be sanctified. I must be revered. And sanctified as holy simply means this. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Honour the Lord God in your hearts. Honour Jesus Christ as Lord in your hearts, he says, depending on your translation. And what he means by that is it's taking God from the ordinary and placing him in the very special in your life. That's what sanctifying the Lord is. It will revolutionise your life. Three, four, five years ago now, I began praying on a daily basis, Lord, sanctify us. Be careful if you're going to pray that. I'm serious this morning. If you're going to pray that, be careful, because God will do it. He'll answer that prayer. But sanctifying the Lord creates a sense of urgency. We, we, we so often wonder why there seems to be this lack of the presence of God in our lives. We wonder why sometimes God seems a million miles away. We wonder why when our prayer meetings are empty, when our, when our life groups are struggling to find numbers, not necessarily here, this is speaking on a global scale. We, we wonder There's no sense of urgency in the church of Jesus Christ, that there's nobody on their knees. You have a look at every revival over the last 2000 years, you have a look at every time God has moved powerfully, He has done so through people, on their knees. Azusa Street Azusa Street began by a nine year old girl in a Sunday night prayer meeting and she got on her knees and prayed and bang Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest awakenings that we have known, Jonathan Edwards, God's intellect pastored faithfully for many years, pouring out the truth of the gospel in a small town in America And then one lady who had an enormous reputation in the town, if you can put two and two together, she gets saved. She gives her testimony. A fire is lit that sweeps America. What's the difference between a revival and an awakening? Demographics. The size, the magnitude swept America. For us to have an increased awareness is sanctifying the Lord. It's what's important to us. It's changing our priorities. That we would be a church that is aware of the presence of God and has made a power shift in our lives. Second one is attentiveness. First one is awareness. Second one is attentiveness. Attentiveness is acting on our inward longings. So many of us in conversations with others and with ourselves, so many of us say, you know, well, when I do this, this and this, I'll seek the Lord and, and you know what, I just, and maybe when I'm retired or, or maybe I'll, I'll get to this point in my business and I'll, and I'll cut everything back and then, and then I'll act on all those things that I know that I should be doing. It's acting on our inward longings and attentiveness to the Word of God looks like we might get out of bed earlier, we might stay up later. It looks like if the sun's shining, maybe it's not so important to go to the beach. Maybe it's more important to be in fellowship on a Sunday morning. Obedience is giving earnest attention to God's word, submitting to its authority and carrying out its instructions. That's hearing the word of God. The last one I want to speak about this morning is the most important one. It's called apprehending. So the first one is that we have an increased awareness, an increased attentiveness, but as a body of believers, we apprehend God. God is waiting for us. Apprehending, the best way to describe apprehending is, it's kind of like everybody here wants to exist in the, in the supernatural. Thanks for but listening you've got to, to step the rock Christian out of the Church podcast. To, to be notified when the and I think, next episode comes out, subscribe on our website. And I think individuals in this rock. church, if, uh, looking across the people that I get to know, individuals are in this place. Facebook and I want to describe to you what that looks like. Jesus, after feeding we look the 5,000, joining us for our so says, I'm going to stay episode. back here and pray. And he sends his disciples across the lake. After some time, he walks out to them on the water. And they see him in the distance and they're frightened. Jesus says to them, do not be afraid, it is me. And Peter says, well, you know what? If it's you, bid me, there's there's a big word, bid me to come to you on the water. Peter steps out of the boat and walks towards Jesus. And the minute Peter steps out of the boat, he steps out of the natural and into the supernatural. And we, I believe, and this is, I'm speaking to myself here, as much as I'm speaking to everybody else here this morning, we are standing in the boat, and people, the next step is the step out of the boat. So many of us here are standing in the boat, we've had the word of Christ. You see, that was a personal word to Peter. Peter was the only one that got out of the boat and Jesus, it was an empowering word. When Jesus says, come, Peter, come. It was a word to Peter. Peter acts on that word. He steps out of the natural. God is waiting for us to step out of the boat. Many are standing in the boat waiting. Here's the difference. So many people are turning up to church on a Sunday morning waiting for Jesus to step into the boat. Can I tell you, you will wait a long time. Jesus is calling us out of the boat. Living a life that is prophetic looks like tearing down the divide between sacred and secular. I think Mark Corner spoke a little bit about this last week. So often we we compartmentalise our lives. So often we... We, it's like building a house, you know, everybody builds a house, there's the kitchen, there's the bedroom and we section everything off and, and we do that in our own lives as well and we, 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 we build our own lives and we have, a, we have a compartment for work and we have a compartment for home and family, we have, a, we have a compartment for hobbies, we have a compartment for God and we give him the little closet at the, back of the, at the end of the hall, there our God, you can, we're going to put your name on the door and uh, we're going to give you that room, only one problem, God's not in there. Because what God says is, I don't want to be the little cupboard at the end of the hall. I want to be the whole house. You can compartmentalize your life any way you like, says God, on one condition. I'm the house. You can divide your life up. And and the problem is we we think that spiritual life ends on Sunday. Sunday, okay, yes, we're all pumped up, fluffed up, got got our frills on. Now we head out into Monday and we're completely different people. We walk into our workplace and think, okay, this is work now. That's church. That's spiritual. This is work. God says, what's the difference? We need God to breathe on us as a church. My prayer is that God would breathe on us, but we have some misconceptions of what that looks like. I, I, I'm all for whatever God wants to do in this place, but no, we can no longer accept. We can no longer accept the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst because we have ten, 10 people deep on a prayer line at the front while there is unforgiveness and bitterness sitting in our hearts when we're in the pews. Don't tell me that the Spirit of God is in powerfully moving in your church. Anybody, don't tell me that when everybody's got bitterness and unforgiveness in their hearts, when when everybody's trying to tear something down. You can have all the prayer lines at the front you like. You can dance and make rooster noises and dog noises all you like. The evidence of the Holy Spirit upon his people is fruit. And it is people, I'm all for, hey, I'm all for this. I've done carpet time myself. I have walked into a meeting saying, that's not me. I'd never fall over, boom, woke up an hour and a half later. I know what that's like. Most of us in this room have had a taste of what rests in that box. You know that that Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was? Most of us have had a taste of what that's like. And I want it back. And I've come to realise over recent times... That I'm the one with my hand on the box so often. My vision for us as a, as a church and as individuals is that we would let God out of the box. Open that box, friends, and have a look at what He'll do. Let, it, let Him have His way. Let, let Him have His way and have a look at what He'll do. Who knows? Sunday morning services may go till one o'clock. There was one major difference between the church that was in the book of Acts and the church of today. One major difference, they had a sense of urgency. Every single one of them lived with a sense of urgency. You couldn't get them out of church. You want to do church like they did in the first century? Okay, no worries. We start around dawn. We have breakfast together. There's about eight guys that might give a message over the course of the day. We sing some songs, we pray a lot, might shut it down around about supper time. Anybody in for that? Yeah. That, that's what they did. The church actually wasn't the temple. They used to go to the temple and they were hated when they got there. The church was in homes. The church was wherever they could meet because it was the people. This morning, I want to finish up by asking every single person here, giving you the opportunity. I'm asking if we can stand to our feet for a moment. And at the front here, we have, we have a, a frame which encapsulates our core values as a church. And many people have already signed that frame. And... This, you're not signing a declaration this morning. We're, we're, Donald Trump's not going to see you down the front here. None of that's, none of that's what's happening. We, there's an opportunity for you to give us your details so we can contact you by email and keep you into the loop with all that we do as a church. But here's the question and here's the opportunity for every person. I've outlaid the vision. I want to see the presence of God. I want to see God breathing on his church again. Everybody's stepping out of the boat. And if, you, if you're here this morning and you haven't signed the frame and you would like to do so, please understand that it's really just between you and God. What we're asking is if you want to enter into partnership. And for Paul, he speaks about partnership to the Philippians and he says, you guys entered into partnership with me. And what he was saying to them was, you know, we're out here, we're preaching the gospel and, and people are being converted and you're, you're giving what you can into this ministry. You're, you're partnering with us. No church was built on one person. God will build his church. And so I want to give everybody that opportunity this morning and you can in your own time. We're going to play some music after I pray in a moment. And in your own time, this is between you and God. This is you putting your hand up and saying, I want to bloom where you've planted me right here, God. And you don't have to sign that frame to do that. But I do have another question. Is everybody in this room ready to start living our lives prophetically? Father, this morning, I pray for every single one of us here this morning. And Lord, you've done it once, so I know you can do it again. I read about how you did it to Ezekiel, and I'm asking that you would do it to every single one of us in this room. Invade our lives with your divine presence. Lord God, you breathed on the house of Israel. They were in exile. They were dry. They were thirsty. But Lord God, you breathed on them, and they once again knew the presence and the breath of God. Breathe on us, O God, I pray breathe on every single one of us. Let us know your breath, Lord God. Let us be aware of your presence. Let us be let us be acting on our inward longings, Lord God. And let us apprehend you and open that box. Lord, I pray you would call every person out of the boat. Jesus, you're majestic. You are glorious. And right now, Lord, as a prayer and as a confession, I say we need you in this church. Holy Spirit, we need you here. We're thirsty, Lord. And every time we get a taste, we're even thirstier than when we began. Father, in your glorious name, I am so thankful for what you're doing in in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the leadership. We thank you for every person that volunteers. We thank you for every single person that makes up this family. Lord, bless them, I pray. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au.